Welcome to Expresso Crime, a podcast all about crimes, short enough to listen to while you enjoy your cup of coffee. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Expresso Crime. Today's episode is all about grandmas who've gone bad with crime trivia to follow. Before we get started, we have a little housekeeping to do, though. Last week during crime trivia, I asked Ollie if he knew the real name of Jack the Ripper. The answer was yes, they do. Flip-flopped around and upon further reading, I was right and they do in fact know his real name. So, not really the end of the world, but that's that. Let's get started though. First up is the Giggling Grandma. Nanny Doss was born on November 4th, 1905 in Alabama. She married her first husband at 16 and the two had four children. In 1927, two of her children died of what was suspected of food poisoning. In 1929, she married her second husband. After 16 years of marriage, she killed him with rat poisoning. In 1943, Nanny went to visit her daughter and newborn baby in the hospital. While her daughter was exhausted from labor, she thought she saw her mother stick a hat pin into the baby's head. When she asked her husband and sister for clarification, they said Nanny had told them that the baby was dead and they noticed that she was holding a pin. Nanny married her third husband just three days after meeting him through a Lonely Hearts column. During this marriage, Nanny would often disappear for months on end, but when she came home, she played the doting housewife, and when he died of what was said to be heart failure, the community supported her. Soon after, the couple's house, which had been left to the husband's sister, burnt down. The insurance money went to Nanny, who quickly banked it, and after the husband's mother died in her sleep, Nanny left North Carolina and ended up at her sister, Debbie's home. Debbie was bedridden. Soon after Nanny's arrival, she died. Shortly after, she started to look for a new husband and joined a new dating service. She married her third husband in 1952. In January 1953, Nanny's mother moved in with, her, with them, and shortly after, Nanny poisoned her mother. Shortly after, she started to look for a new husband and joined a new dating service. She ended up getting married in 1952. In January 1953, Nanny's mother moved in with them, and shortly after, Nanny poisoned her mother. Three months later, Nanny's husband died. In June 1953, Nanny married a minister who had lost his family to a tornado. In September, he was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. The hospital diagnosed a severe digestive tract infection. He was treated and released on October 5th. He died on October 12th. This sudden death alerted his doctor who ordered an autopsy. The autopsy revealed a huge amount of arsenic in his system. Nanny was promptly arrested as Nanny killed him that evening in her rush to collect the two life insurance policies she had taken out on him. In all, it was revealed that she had killed four husbands, two children, two her sister, her mother, two grandsons, and a mother-in-law between 1927 and 1954. Her motive, life insurance money. She pled guilty on May 17, 1955 and was sentenced to life imprisonment. The state did not pursue the death penalty due to her being female. Nanny died from leukemia in the hospital ward of the prison in 1965. Okay, wow. I know we talk about all sorts of things serial killer related on this podcast, but there is just something about Nanny Doss. That is a family gathering you just do not want to go to. Okay, our second grandma gone bad is Dorothy Helen Puent, who ran an unlicensed boarding house in Sacramento, California. 
She murdered various elderly and mentally disabled boarders, and then she would cash their social security checks. She killed nine people from 1982 to 1988 by giving them fatal doses of drugs. She was convicted after law enforcement found her victims' bodies buried under her home in the early 90s. She died in prison at 82. The third grandma gone bad goes back to 1939 when Italian granny Leonardo found out her eldest son was going to be joining the army to prepare for World War II. She was determined to protect him at all costs and came to the conclusion that his safety required human sacrifices. Let's buckle up for this one. Her first victim came to the house for help finding a husband. She told her victim of a suitable partner, though he wasn't local, and asked her to tell no one of the news. She also wanted her to write postcards and letters in advance that she would then mail once she made the trip to her future husband. The victim came to her home one last time to pay for the services, and this is when she was killed with an axe. Her body was then dragged into a closet and cut into nine parts. She gathered the blood into a basin. In her official statement, she said she threw the body pieces into a pot to dissolve them and threw several of the buckets into a nearby septic tank. As far as the blood, she dried it in the oven and mixed it in with dessert ingredients, where she served them to ladies who came to visit, though she also ate them herself. Francesca was the second victim that Leonardo claimed she found a job for, again out of town and that she needed to write postcards in advance. Francesca came to visit one last time before her scheduled departure on September 5, 1940, where she was given drugged wine and then killed with an axe. Leonardo got rid of the body the same way as the first victim. Additionally, she received money from the victim this as well for her services provided. Her third and final victim was a widow named Virginia. Leonardo claimed to have found work for her out of town, and like the other two victims, she was told not to tell anyone and to write postcards for the future. On September 30, 1940, Virginia came to the home to pay for the services, and that's when she was murdered, the same way as the first two victims. However, this time, the body was used to make soaps, which were given to neighbors and acquaintances. In an official statement, she said the cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. In addition to murdering the three women and being paid beforehand, she also sold their clothing, jewelry, and shoes. She was found guilty of her crimes and sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. She died in October of 1970. This is another case that is just absolutely crazy to me. The human sacrifice, for one, and then just how the level of detail of killing and the postcards. And what I find is just really extra is just the getting paid first for these services she's providing and then also selling the clothing, the jewelry, and the shoes. It's all bad, but it's just one on top of the other. It just makes it terrible. Uh, moving on to the fourth, Grandma Gone Bad. In India, a mother-in-law was sentenced to life in prison after she was found guilty for murdering and harassing her daughter-in-law, who was just 19. Since the wedding on March 30, 2005, the mother-in-law was torturing and harassing her daughter-in-law over not a large enough marriage payment. On July 3, 2005, the daughter-in-law was threatened to either provide a larger sum or to divorce her husband, which caused an argument. These arguments would continue and get worse. 
On November 25, 2005, things took a tragic turn. The mother-in-law beat her daughter-in-law and doused her in kerosene and set her on fire. The daughter-in-law sustained burns on over 85% of her body and later died of her injuries while in hospital. While the mother-in-law was sentenced to life in prison, the prosecutors tried to arrest the father-in-law as well, but he was acquitted of charges due to lack of evidence. The fifth grandma gone bad is Melissa Ann Shepard with the nickname Internet Black Widow. This 81-year-old woman from Halifax, Canada, murdered two of her five husbands and tried killing the others over the span of two decades. Her method of choice was to give her husband tranquilizers, causing them to overdose. After the death of her second husband in 1991, authorities convicted her of manslaughter and sentenced her to six years in prison. After an early release, Shepard killed another man. Evidence also shows she tried unsuccessfully to kill two of her other husbands as well. Police finally charged her with attempted murder in 2005 after the near death of her fifth husband. Her husband had been admitted to the hospital for poisoning, and investigators found a stockpile of prescription pills from five different doctors at her home. In 2016, the courts released Shepard under the stipulation she document any potential relationship with a man and to report weekly, either by telephone or in person, to the police. The sixth case is Helen Golay and Olga Rudderschmidt. They both set up an elaborate scheme where they would take in homeless men, apply for life insurance policies for these men, valued in the thousands, and then crush them with their cars in staged hit-and-run accidents. The ladies received $2.8 million in insurance payouts before Southern California authorities unearthed their plot. The two killed two men, but police discovered their crimes after the woman failed a third murder attempt. The women tried to convince a homeless man to apply for an $800,000 life insurance policy. He began suspicious and fled. In 2008, law enforcement charged the two with two counts each of murder and conspiracy in the deaths of the two. Los Angeles court sentenced the pair to life in prison. That wraps up the grandma's gone bad, and now on to crime trivia. Are you ready? I'm so ready. We have 10 questions, and we're going to start with number one. How old is the oldest prisoner? Guess. Oldest prisoner where? In the U.S. In the U.S.? Yes. They are 103. No. They are 94 years old, and they have been serving a lifelong sentence since July 7th, 1950. Fucking hell. Crazy. Sorry. Swore. You've got to take that out or bleep me. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Number two. How tall was Edmund Kemper? Six foot five. Close. Six foot nine. Oh my god, I was actually going to say that, but I thought, no, that's just ridiculous. Well, it's not ridiculous. That is tall. It's still ridiculous. Like, go to the NBA. Don't kill people. (laughs) Number three. What is the nickname of one of Britain's most horrific serial killers? Peter Sutcliffe. So the nickname. Yorkshire Ripper. You're right. You're on the board. So I need to make a note that you are right. Number four. What is the name of the task force created to catch the son of Sam? Omega Group or the O Group? 
I make it great. That is right. Number five. True or false? The sum, the son of Sam also lit fires around New York City. True. That is true. They discovered that he was responsible for over fourteen hundred fires set. Wow. That's nuts. More son of Sam. I was really on a son of Sam kick for writing this. Uh what weapon did he use? Uh, wrench. No, he used a handgun. Number seven. How many trials did Ted Bundy have in Florida? Um, 13. Close. Not really close at all, actually. Three. Oh. I don't know why I said close. Oh, three. Okay. Um, what famous serial killer offered his help on the Green River killer case to try and find who he was? Ted Bundy. Yeah, that is right. I almost gave that to you on a silver platter. Oh. Well, it was Ted Bundy before. Yeah. Patterns. Number nine. What was the la- When was the last time the police or newspapers heard from the Zodiac? Um, 1976. So close, 1978. In a letter, that's the last time he's wrote in. Number 10, true or false, at one time the police suspected Ted Kaczynski, the convicted Unabomber, as being the Zodiac. They thought it was him? Yeah. I'll say that's true. And that would be right. You got five right, 50%. Only five. Not bad, because this one was a little bit difficult, I think. A few of them didn't have this or that. Yeah. I felt like I was getting them all right. Well... You want. Okay. Thanks for listening. See you next Sunday.